0: Hello and welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum. Matt Levine. And we're talking about all our favorite monster movies. The good, the bad, and the downright campy. And asking if they stand the test of time. Kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between. All strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts, With part of the proceeds supporting this show, banditsemporium.com. Hit the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. Hey, as Camp Kaiju says, stay campy, everybody. Boy, do we have a good one to talk about tonight. It is the new Predator movie, but we really should just call it by its own name, which is Prey. And we just, before we get into it, just want to say thank you all for watching and listening. We couldn't do it without you. Check out our uh, Instagram campkaijumoviereviews movie and our Patreon so we can keep bringing this monster content to your podcast feeds. So thank you again. Matt, how the hell are you? I'm excited for fall to be honest. Uh, Halloween, October, horror
1: time. It's my favorite time of the year.
0: Okay. I I love black and white monster movies, horror movies. So like I'm actually on a silent movie kick right now. And I don't know if we can bring some of those to the pod just because I don't know what our listenership would be for, for some 1920s films. <laughs> However, they're worthy of discussion. And I just watched the 1920 adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. You know, that one with John Barrymore. I have
1: not seen that. I, there's one from, I think, 1932 with, I think, Frederick March. That one's yes. really great. And that um, one is
0: more well-known, I think. But the yeah. Barrymore one is creepy AF, and it has some really affecting imagery, I will say. We should absolutely bring some silent movies
1: to the discussion. I would love that. I would love to talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and also Lon Chaney, who is like one of the most famous actors ever for like, you know, playing a lot of different monsters and beasts and the man of a thousand faces, right? So yeah, yeah, we should definitely talk about that.
0: Yeah, so yeah. Honestly, people let us know, engage with us. Let us know if you are interested in silent movies, Lon Chaney, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, let us know and we will listen. And, and and (laughs) I'm basically saying we will do whatever you want us to do. (laughs) (laughs) We may regret that later, but right now that is the offer. Yeah. (laughs) And, and this month before we get into spooky season, we, wanted to a we want we knew we wanted to talk about prey since like six months ago right but we were thinking like how can we theme our month of september how can, what, what can we pair it with and we were like oh well it's kind of a prey is sort of a western a take on that genre so we were like what else can we what other horror or monster westerns are out there and we settled upon john carpenter's vampires. A 1998 vampire film set in the Southwest, American Southwest. And we will talk about that next time on Camp Kaiju. It seemed like a good idea at the time to talk about that movie. and <laughs> <laughs> Not to give anything away. Well, love it or hate it. I think it's going to be a great conversation yeah, when we get to it. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, Matt, what is your
1: experience with Prey? I was very excited about it. I'm a big fan of the Predator series, even though kind of guilty pleasure sometimes, right? Like, um, you know, you and I just watched Predator 2 together recently. We don't always watch movies together, although it's always a pleasure when we're able to do so. And when we watched Predator 2, both of us were like, ooh, like at the beginning of the movie, this is not really like playing very well. It's sort of like the Jamaican and the Colombian gangs, like uh, going to war in Los Angeles in the late 90s. And Yeah, culturally sensitive is not how I would describe the beginning of that movie. There's a lot of problematic (laughs) stuff in there. So to go from that, well, first of all, let me just say, you know, like Predator is very fun, very stylish. I mean, it's just a simple story, like men with big guns going up against like this badass warrior. It's hard to not like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Predator 2 is very stylish. It has a good story. It has sort of a fun twist at the end. Predators is really good. I like that one a lot. Alien versus Predator is better than I thought it would be. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a fun series, and to sort of like totally switch it up, which Prey does, and like make this prequel where it's set in like a totally different setting, you know, it seemed really special and really unique, and I think it is in a lot of ways. So, um, so yeah, I was excited to see it, excited to talk about it. Um,
0: there's a lot of buzz about this movie, obviously, so it's kind of like the movie of the moment a little bit. I agree, man. Um, I just crash course the Predator series in prep for Prey. Uh, I had seen and loved the 1987 Predator since I was a teenager. I liked AVP more than I thought I would. I thought AVP record... I can't even say it because it's such a bad title, let alone a (laughs) film. Predators. Oh, I saw Predators in the theater when it came out. Mm -hmm. Still love it. I think that one holds up. The Predator. Shane Black's take, directorial take on the franchise and the one that precedes Prey, um, not chronologically, but in real life, Mm -hmm. set the bar even lower, I think, than it had been. It's not as bad as Requiem, but it definitely took the series into, I think, an aspect of um, fantasy and popcorn fare that it hadn't really been before, straying away from its true horror roots
1: for sure yeah yeah but
0: it's nice to see prey kind of bring the series back to its roots of uh taking itself very seriously i think
1: yeah i i agree i have to admit i did not see requiem you took one for the team by watching that movie because (laughs) i Heard it was terrible, and I did not see it. <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, The Predator, I haven't seen for a while. And to be honest, I've only seen bits and pieces of it on TV. So I guess I have to admit, I have not seen that the whole way through either. But it does seem kind of like self-deprecating. Like it's kind of like almost making fun of The Predator series a little bit. Like we know this is dumb, but it's also fun, right? Yeah. Um, that's the sense that I got. So yeah, Prey, I think, does not
0: do that at all. And it's, um, it's an admirable change of pace, yeah. And a brave, a bold change of pace, I would say, um, setting it in a very unconventional setting for Hollywood big budget movies, at any rate, with a female lead, let alone, you know, an indigenous lead. It's unique and fresh and empowering. And just, yeah, it's a cool concept.
1: It's uh like I would, uh, yeah. Like, you know, I'm sort of fantasizing now about like setting a bunch of like monster franchises and like various historical time periods, you know, like alien and ancient Rome and stuff like that. Like I would pay to see that for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you want to read the synopsis? Yeah. Spoiler alerts, everybody. Yeah. Beware.
1: All right. So Prey is set in 1719 in the Great Plains. Naru, a young Comanche woman, dreams of becoming a great hunter like her brother Taabe. While tracking deer with her dog, Naru witnesses the lights of an alien predator's spacecraft, which she interprets as a thunderbird, a legendary creature of supernatural power and strength in some indigenous people's cultures. Naru takes the vision as a sign to prove herself.
0: At the village, one of their tribe's hunters has been taken by a mountain lion. Ta'abe says Naru can join the search party, but only so she can provide medicinal treatment if necessary. They retrieve the wounded hunter and depart though Ta'abe stays behind to find and kill the big cat. Discovering large, unusual tracks and a meticulously skinned rattlesnake, Naru circles back and finds Ta'abe. Together, the three set a trap for the mountain lion, but it kills another of their tribe instead.
1: So Naru faces off with the mountain lion on the branch of a tree, but after being distracted by the strange sounds and lights of the predator in the distance, she falls and strikes her head. She wakes up in her family home, having been carried back by Ta'abe. He later returns to the village carrying the dead mountain lion, earning him the title of war chief. Convinced of a greater threat that they've never seen before, Naru departs and comes across a herd of skinned bison left to rot on the plains. She
0: is baffled by the wasteful slaughter and says a prayer for their spirits. Eventually, she stumbles into a mud-filled bog pit, which nearly swallows her before she escapes. Naru and her dog are later attacked by a grizzly bear. As they flee for their lives, the bear is killed by the predator, giving Naru time to escape before running into a group of Comanches sent to find her. The predator ambushes and kills the men in combat while Naru is caught in a foothold trap. The predator leaves as it no longer sees her as a threat.
1: French fur traders, responsible for slaughtering the bison, come to check their trap, find Naru, and cage her. Their translator, Raphael, questions Naru about the predator whom the Frenchmen have encountered before. When she refuses to talk, one of the traders reveals that he has Taabe capt- captive and tortures him before using both siblings as bait for the predator. While tied to a tree, Taabe admits to his sister that she had weakened the mountain lion,
0: enabling him to kill it. The predator kills most of the Frenchmen while Taabe and Naru escape. Naru re- Naru rescues her dog from the camp and stumbles across a dying Raphael, who teaches her how to use his flintlock pistol in exchange for treating his severed leg. When the predator arrives, Raphael plays dead, and Naru realizes that, due to his reduced heat, the creature cannot see him. After it steps on Raphael, he screams and the predator kills him.
1: Uh, Taabe arrives on horseback to rescue Naru. Together they weaken the predator, but it kills Taabe. Naru flees and finds the surviving Frenchman. She knocks him out, there's only one left, severs one of his legs and gives him an unloaded gun before eating the herbs to hide her body heat, baiting the predator. She uses Raphael's pistol to ambush the creature, knocking off its mask, which she has previously seen to hold the targeting system for the predator's spear gun. Uh, Naru then steals the device and flees into the woods.
0: Naru uses the Frenchman's severed leg to lure the predator into the mud-filled bog pit where she has positioned the creature's mask, so it targets the creature stuck in the pit. Without the mask, the predator is less effective, so Naru injures it significantly before dragging it into the bog. As the predator rises from the pit, it fires the spear gun at Naru and misses. The projectile bounces around and homes in on the predator, killing it. Naru severs its head and paints her face with its glowing green blood. She brings the head and the pistol back to her tribe. They honor her victory by declaring Naru the new war chief. It's a very triumphant ending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to just head into cast and crew?
1: Yeah, so you mentioned Amber Mid-Thunder. Uh, she is an uh, Asinabone actress and a member of the Fort Peck Sioux Tribes, who also stars on the TV shows Legion Roswell, New Mexico, Longmire, and Banshee. You know, before we kind of go further into the cast, I'll just say that the, the cast of the film is, is predominantly Native, almost entirely Native, except for the French fur traders and uh, the actor who plays the Predator. So that's, you know, a, a, certainly a unique thing for a Hollywood production.
0: And um, yeah, we'll get more into that shortly here. Uh, the film is directed and co-written by Dan Trachtenberg, who also directed at 10 Cloverfield Lane and the pilot of the Amazon series, The Boys. So Trachtenberg uh, clearly has a track record with monsters, but also this sort of heightened violence that I think is perfectly suited for the Predator franchise. Absolutely. Uh,
1: so Dakota Beavers uh, plays Taabe, Naru's brother. Uh, he's an actor of Mexican and O.K. Owinge Pueblo descent. Um, just a little note about his character, which I think is really fascinating here. Um, so the script of Prey, but not the movie itself, confirms that the character of Billy Sowell, who is played by Sonny Landom in the original Predator from 1987, an indigenous character, um, is the reincar- reincarnation of Ta'abe, the script says, making the standoff between Billy and the Predator in the 1987 film kind of an act of revenge many centuries later sort of continued from this prequel. Uh, That's a storyline which I read was developed in one of the comic books. And I just think it's kind of a fascinating little tidbit there.
0: Wow, that is very fascinating. One little thing I'll pull from that is the comic book influence, which as you grow familiar with the Predator series, you realize how much of it is sort of taken or inspired by the comic book incarnation of the of the character from the late 80s, early 90s. AVP was taken directly from a comic book series. So I don't know. I think it's a cool cross intersection of pop media there. I totally
1: agree. It's sort of funny because I don't generally love comic book movies all that much. Like I don't love Marvel movies or like Sin City and stuff like that, you know. Um, but like when it's done well, like there's so much stylistic overlap between comic books and cinema that... Um, It's kind of a natural pair, and I think uh, the Predator movies are a good example of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. So playing the Predator's Dane Deligro, he performed all the acting stunts and motion capture while wearing the 15-pound Predator helmet. Uh, It also stars Michelle Thrush as Aruka, who is Naru and Ta'abe's
1: mother. Michelle Thrush is a Cree-Canadian actress and First Nations activist for Aboriginal Canadians. Uh, She has starred in numerous movies and TV shows, and wrote her own one-woman show, Inner Elder.
0: And then rounding out the main cast anyways is Bennett Taylor as the French fur trader Raphael Andolini. His character is first alluded to in Predator 2 and depicted in the comic book Predator 1718. That book was published in 1996. So right there is the connection between this film and Predator 2. Huge spoiler alert. Matt, were you aware of that connection before revisiting the the second movie? I, no, I was not. And,
1: you know, when there's a I guess I don't want to give everything away from the ending of Predator 2, but there is there is like a little twist that sort of like looks ahead to future installments, I think, both in the comic books and in the films, uh, which kind of like broadens the universe quite a bit and makes you realize that these Predators are... Um, They've existed for centuries, maybe millennia. Who really knows? Uh, which is just, I, I think, a pretty cool way to sort of like really, yeah, increase the scope and the scale of this world, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it doesn't
0: feel like a forced connection.
1: Right. I, I love that. Yeah. Like I, you can tell that like that, like the story of Prey comes from a place of creativity and like respect for the franchise and not just like trying to make a money grab, you know? And that's always
0: admirable. Mm-hmm. The real star of the show is Naru's dog, Saru Sanu. I know it's Coco (laughs) in real life.
1: I also read that the dog was not really trained to be like a Hollywood sort of like actor dog. And it was sort of like poorly behaved at first and was a little bit like, you know, un in- undependable, I guess you could say. Um, but, it, but it got better as the, you know, it got like more trained and like, you know, worked better with the actors as the production went on. And yeah, the dog is like an inde- indispensable part of the movie, I think.
0: Yeah, and I'm so happy it survives because in a movie like this, when a dog is introduced, it really could go either way.
1: Yeah, it's the constant thing of like, when I watch a horror movie, I'm fine if like dozens of people die. But if one animal dies, you know, I'm like, oh, no, it's terrible. Which, right. of course, is ridiculous. But so many people feel that way.
0: Which is probably, I mean, I don't, Dan Trachtenberg, the director. Sure, I could give him credit for understanding that just by putting a likable dog in the film automatically ups the stakes. and are tension because we are expecting it to die. So we are watching the film in in that sort of suspense already. That's a good point. Yeah. I yeah, we totally
1: have that um, concern. As soon as we see the dog on screen, I actually read that the filmmakers were influenced by Mad Max 2 or The Road Warrior is actually the name of that movie in mm-hmm. which Mel Gibson's character has the dog, of course, um, which I just thought was kind of interesting. I feel like there is sort of like a very, very broad simplicity, I guess, to both the Road Warrior and Prey, where it's just like people going at it or like, you know, people and aliens going at it, sort of just like a standoff or whatever. Um, I thought that was an interesting connection.
0: Yeah. Okay. great. Uh, Well, thank you, everybody. Visit BanditsEmporium.com. They are the official T-shirt sponsor and partner of Camp Kaiju. You can hit the link in our bio or visit BanditsEmporium.com to shop some cool monster inspired T-shirts. Best part is part of the proceeds go into supporting Matt and I on camp Kaiju bringing you awesome monster mashy content. So thank you so much for that support. Bandits As they say, we sell shirts as camp Kaiju says we are on native land. I love that. Yeah. So like I said earlier, the predator came out in 2018 and Production on Prey actually began during the filming of The Predator. The initial intention was to release and promote the film without connecting it to the Predator franchise. But obviously that did not happen. So Uh, wait, let me reread that. The initial intention was to release and promote the film without connecting. Oh, so like they were going to like bury that, you know,
1: like it was just going to be like a sort of a a story of survival in in an indigenous community.
0: But then the Predator connection um, became apparent. Yeah, that's really that's an interesting take. And I feel like a lot of the promotional material early on did not focus on the Predator in the film. But it still did. Like you still I still knew it was a Predator film. Yeah,
1: maybe that's, you know, I I wonder if that's kind of like the pre-release buzz and just like articles about it and stuff like that. Like that's I feel like that's how I knew that it was a Predator movie not through like the trailers or the ads or anything like that, but through the buzz beforehand, which I'm I'm happy and I'm sad that I knew that beforehand. It would have been kind of a cool surprise if I didn't know that going into it.
0: Yes. However, it's not like it's, it waits until the end of the movie to reveal that it's a Predator. It happens yeah. pretty early on. That is very true. Yeah.
1: And, you know, like probably more people were interested in seeing it because it is part of the Predator series. So uh, it certainly right. makes sense that that would come out.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, so before filming started, the cast underwent four weeks of training, working with weapons. Mid-Thunder and Trachtenberg devised the tomahawk attached to a rope that Nauru uses in the movie, which is a really cool effect. It's kind of like a grappling hook. She kind of wields it just like an all-utility weapon. Really great and talented axemanship, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and the personal trainers, they developed a sign language so they could communicate non-verbally which was nice. Filming occurred in Calgary, Canada, primarily in First Nations land. Producer Jane Myers, a member of both Comanche and Blackfeet Nations, explained, quote, we were shooting on stony Nakoda land. Mid-Thunder is part Nakoda. Even I am on my grandmother's side. Usually when we start a production, someone from the native community comes in and does a cedar ceremony and blesses everything. Because we had so many indigenous people in the cast, First Nation people too, and since we were on true plains land, they sent out two pipe carriers and two smudge people to have a pipe ceremony. Um, yeah, paid tribute to the
1: culture, the history, the customs uh, through the production of the film, which is great. I didn't put that put this in the section, but I read that uh, Jane Myers like put together binders and binders of like historical research about the Comanche people to make sure, and then like gave it to the you know all the cast and crew cinematographer, set design, costume design, everything to make sure that I was as historically accurate as possible. And um, from what I can tell, it's uh, it is accurate. It's historically accurate. And uh, they did a really great job of that.
0: May I add uh, just a little bit of historical context that I have gleaned in my prep for this? Absolutely. Regarding the Comanche Nation. So according to the Comanche Nation's website and When we say nation, we do mean sovereign nation under the various treaties and laws in accordance with the United States government. The Comanche Nation is currently uh, located in Oklahoma. However, these peoples have been moving around for centuries. And from their website, I'll just read, we are known as Lords of the Plains and were once a part of the Shoshone tribe. In the late 1600s and early 1700s, we moved off our Shoshone kinsmen onto the Northern Plains, and then southerly in search of a new homeland. I want to pause there and just say and place this within Prey's historical timeline of the early 1700s. So if we want to apply the history to it, Nauru and her people, maybe not them directly, but within recent generations, had separated from the greater tribe that was the Shoshone people. So already, you could you could already say that these Comanche are already experiencing some sort of great upheaval in their culture.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that, you know, we'll probably get more into this, but that's what makes like the story of survival so culturally loaded and so uh, moving and powerful. The other, A lot of the other Predator movies are sort of just about like, it's a standoff, you got to survive. Like you'll use your wits, like use your know-how and you'll like take down this Predator who's like the best warrior in the universe or whatever. So to like... You know, to to have this context of of the Comanche Nation and survival and being sort of you know the victims of genocide, obviously, um, but still being very much present in, in their in their native lands and elsewhere, uh, it, it makes this movie very powerful. Just knowing that sort of like social context
0: in the back of your head, um, especially a hundred or so years later, when especially when the United States government was doing its thing and systematically destroying the buffalo, which means so much physically as well as spiritually to these people, when you see that depicted in Prey, I mean, it just smacks you across the face where it's like suddenly this predator, this make-believe terror is suddenly rendered completely harmless compared to the, the real historical atrocity that the film makes sure to include. I thought that was a very powerful moment.
1: Absolutely, the the French fur traders are probably more actually villainous than the predator
0: is. You know? Oh man, ah, do we want to go into the French fur traders? Just <laughs> despicable, but also buffoony, right? Yeah. They're so repugnant and oafish <laughs> and dirty. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. There's, I, we don't need any nuance in that. Like, uh, I I just love how like detestable they are. It's great. And you know what that made me think of, actually, the way the white people are depicted in this film is the way Native people had been depicted in Hollywood films for 100 years. So suddenly I'm seeing a fresh sort of uh, reversal on stereotypes that the Natives are refined and it's the white people who are caricatures.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think like this reversal, of course, is like more accurate to historical fact. I mean, I'm not saying that all the French fur traders were actually oafish and like disgusting, but like they committed these atrocities. They stole native land. They, you know, like you said, they systematically targeted native people and indigenous people, First Nations people. So, um, yeah, like this reversal is closer to historical fact than the, uh, you know, cultural whitewashing that most Western movies gave us for
0: a century or more, you know, and it's it is always refreshing, honestly, to see native actors playing native roles, which historically did not happen like in the in the Western pictures of the 40s and 50s in the golden age of Hollywood. A lot of those native actors were actually Filipino actors mm. or Hispanic or not white. Um, but no, never native. Right. It's,
1: it is incredibly refreshing to see for sure. So I'm thinking of The Searchers by John Ford, which is a masterpiece, like one of the best Western movies ever made, but certainly is not free of the sort of cultural um, problems. And, you know, again, the cultural whitewashing, uh, which we were just talking about. And the, the character of Scar, which is the name of the sort of villainous, um, I believe there's, there's Comanche in that film as well, but uh, it was, he was played by a German actor with like bright blue eyes which makes no sense. And like, they, you know, like John Ford was asked about this and he's like, all that matters is like the visual impact of the character and the scene and the shot. Like this villain is like more, um, striking because of those bright blue eyes. It doesn't matter if it makes no historical sense. And I don't agree with his response. I sort of admire it in a weird way. John Ford, one of the best Western directors of all time, but, um, but I don't agree with that. Of, of course, representation and historical accuracy is incredibly important. And it's so good to see a
0: movie like Prey finally get it right. It's sort of that me- that I think old school mentality that has not aged well in the 21st century of, well, my art comes first. It's the art that matters. Well, yes, like you say, you can admire that. However, that doesn't excuse you from whitewashing history either. Absolutely. And, and
1: you can use your art to tell a historically accurate story like that's they're not mutually exclusive, you know. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, Hopefully, I mean, I'm glad that we're like heading in a direction where that presumably will happen more often. Absolutely. And
0: who'd a thunk it would be pray to to move this storytelling forward? Because honestly, I mean, is it the Dances with Wolves of our generation? uh well i mean i have my own issues with dances i just i i I mean in terms of native representation and Mm. moving these these stories forward gotcha um i think it
1: could be yeah i i hope that it i I was reading an article like you know prey might be the best best predator movie but it also might kind of destroy the series (laughs) because like where do you go from here like the bar is set so high like do you kind of just like do a bunch of spinoffs or whatever it's an interesting article but um you know, I kind of hope that we do see a lot more franchises. I touched upon this, upon this earlier, but I would love to see more franchises do this sort of thing and just do like a complete 180 and like shift your characters and your setting and your environment. It's, it's really
0: refreshing and uh, exciting. There are so many stories out there to tell. Hollywood needs to get out of the unoriginal track that it finds itself in. Yes, it is another sequel in a 30 plus year franchise. But it feels like a new movie. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Can I mention, uh, sorry, to tie it into like the Predator series uh, again a little bit more. Like I feel like the movies, with the exception of the first one, do this thing where like the Predators become sort of honorable by the end. Like, you know, at the end of Predator 2, one of the Predators like gives him the staff because he sort of killed the other Predator. Um, At the end of Alien vs. Predator, not to give too much away, but the Sanaa Lathan character uh and she's really good in that movie by the way i was very surprised to see her mm-hmm. and lance hendrickson in that but um but yeah the predator one of the predators towards the end he does a similar thing like gives her sort of like a ceremonial weapon because she's survived to the end and it's really the aliens that are the like villainous monsters in that movie and not the predators so much so i just think that this movie prey is kind of continuing that idea that like you know the predators yes are violent and monstrous and like you know want to hand- hunt everything in sight But they're also kind of noble in a way, in a way that like the French fur traders definitely are not in any way. So I feel like that contrast is intentional and is kind of like echoing what previous Predator movies have done before.
0: Yeah, it's an aspect of the of the creature of the species that 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 always has appealed to me. The fact that they they have a they have an honor code. I think it adds depth and layer to a creature that you wouldn't think has that. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Compelling. Mm -hmm. One more thing on sort of the production and background is the fact that the film's main and end titles were done by Filmograph in collaboration with Native American illustrators who provided an animated version of a plain style hide painting, which depicts the film's entire narrative. At the very end, the painting includes action not shown in the film. Naru, Sari and three other people are gathered around the severed head of the Predator. They look up and amid lightning, see three Predator spaceships headed down from the sky towards them. Yeah, that was a really cool thing. Like, does it does it leave this the story open ended a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that'd be nice. What I was going to what I was going to say different than this, but this reminds me of this. The film is available with the option of subtitles or is it in Comanche with English subtitles?
1: Both are available, I believe. There's the English language version of the film, which has Comanche subtitles available, but there is also the Comanche audio version of the film available, which I've heard is worth watching. If you've seen the English language version, from what I've read, there are like jokes and like turns of phrases that, you know, maybe you can't really say in English, but like the Comanche version is able to do so. I'm hoping to watch that at some point. Hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's just cool that they did that. That's awesome. And you know, like you brought up the Hulu streaming thing and like probably they they might not have been able to do that if they released it purely theatrically, you know, to like send two different DCPs, like two different versions of the film, like one in English and one in Comanche. Like that is something you can do on a streaming service that you could not really do theatrically and as not as easily anyway. And even though I have my issues with streaming, there there are some good things about it, you know,
0: that's true. I don't need to see movies personally in the th- in the theater, on the big screen to enjoy them. However, I am kind of sad that this one didn't get the, the big screen release. Yeah, me too. It deserves that setting.
1: I'm still a stickler about the theatrical experience. Go to the theater whenever you can, I say. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that's not always possible. Certainly independent theaters um yeah i I think they are trying to do a distinct aesthetic on digital video which for the most part is quite dark to me this is kind of like the the weak spot of the movie it's not terrible by any means i read that the cinematographer jeff cutter was talking about how he shot in like the anamorphic super widescreen aspect ratio like not just widescreen but like super super widescreen um using digital cameras and uh, using natural light as much as possible so you know sunlight obviously but then the night scenes were like almost entirely illuminated by torches they did have like little led strips on the torches but you know and i think that leads to some sort of interesting compositions but not especially stylish compositions where we can only see like little spots here and there and the screen is like usually a person's face like mm-hmm. moving through the woods sort of And it's just not a look that I enjoy all that much. And this is very subjective, obviously, but I longed for like the old Western compositions where it's like landscapes as far as you can see and like bright colors and all that stuff, you know? Uh, And this movie is not going for that look. It's kind of, again, dark, a little gray, you know, a little intense and ominous. It's it's, like well shot, the action scenes are well choreographed, but I wish that they had put a little bit more care into the visual style of the film.
0: I hear you about the camera itself, that digital, which never feels as um, uh, tangible than a, than a film reel. Mm-hmm. However, I think there are some really stunningly gorgeous establishing shots of the West. Mm-hmm. Some great vistas you get and mountain scenes, which I was like, ah, there's the classic Western sort of imagery. Mm hmm.
1: I think you're right. I I think like the day scenes kind of work better than the night scenes for me, for the most part. And there are some later scenes where it's, it's day, but it's kind of like gray and overcast. And I don't like those quite so much, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's some like amazing vistas early on in the film. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool too because we see these great vistas and then there's like the predator spaceship sort of like visible in the background. So it brings it in in kind of a cool way.
0: Yeah. I love seeing that juxtaposition of genres really.
1: Yeah, me too. I love a good, a good horror Western, which is not like a very common genre. Um, Or science
0: fiction. Yeah, science fiction Western too.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I like that about it. Um, I thought the CGI was kind of hit or miss. Like I thought the CGI of like animals was pretty bad, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, Like the the skin snake and like there are several shots of like a predator hunting its prey, which of course has metaphorical meaning in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a hawk hunting a rabbit or like a snake hunting a mouse or a rodent. And you never believe for a second that it's real animals. It's yeah. pretty bad CGI. <laughs> yeah. So that's unfortunate, but some of the other CGI works pretty well. Like And the predator, I think mostly is like, not CGI. It's like, you know, a man in a suit suit and like motion capture a little bit, I think. But yeah, but the predator works better than that stuff. I think
0: it's it's interesting because in another day and age, like it, it's it's so easy, easy. What do I know? But I think it's, you know, like, especially with the grizzly bear, which looks so fake, mm-hmm. but trained grizzly bears are a thing like you could have combined the CGI with the trained animal and it would have looked that much better. I feel like
1: I, yeah, I agree with you. I wish they would have done that. I, it, it, to me, it seems like the easy way out. If you're just like, yeah, we'll just use CGI later, you know, like, right. I, it's just not convincing. And uh, it's a, it's a little nitpicky because, you know, some of those scenes are still very effective. Like the skinned snake is, you don't expect it. And like yeah. suddenly it jolts, you know, it kind of jolts to life or whatever. It's right. It's a very gruesome moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of it works. Okay.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's just it. The The, storytelling with those animals is really effective mm-hmm. and really cool. So maybe it wouldn't have been possible with a live animal, but you wanted more out of it. Yeah. You know, I'll say that my aesthetic criticisms of the movie are like pretty minor. I'm
1: sort of searching for things to criticize at this point. So <laughs> it's, yeah.
0: yeah. But I think I don't I don't think you're alone with the CGI. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of those metaphors before just uh, speaking thematically i mean it's it's on the nose right with the the predator and the prey and it, it building on itself, but it's effective
1: and I think especially with the historical context that we talked about before you know survival when when you're talking about a culture that was uh, again the the uh the victims of of oppression and genocide and has dealt with so much um prejudice disenfranchisement you name it um so yeah, I mean, like I think that subtext like makes that metaphor of predator and prey like more loaded and more powerful. But it definitely is on the nose, yeah.
0: Yes, and historically speaking, the Comanche tribe was more of a war-like tribe. Uh, they were sort of aggressive, so you could say they were the predators, quote unquote, of their world. Mm-hmm. Just again, building on that theme. The the predator comes in like the actual alien predator comes in, let alone, you know, what would occur historically down the line when the U.S. government, a bigger predator comes for the Comanche.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think you're totally right. And that's, you know, um, of course, the predator turns into the prey, like for for mm-hmm. both of them, like Naru becomes the predator and the predator becomes the prey. Of course, that's kind of like the sort of story structure of the film. But yeah, I mean, like that. Yeah. Um, Uh, circularity or that like binary structure. Actually, it it makes for a very satisfying story.
0: Yeah, simple but so satisfying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of Naru, we have a, a gender reversal in her role. She wants to be a great hunter, but it's the men in her clan who are assumed to be the warriors. So this is sort of Naru's overarching goal. She wants to be respected as a hunter, but she finds herself limited by the roles assigned to females in this culture like she's going to be not only cooking but dealing with the medicine which she uses her brother brings her along on the hunting party because of her abilities in medicine yeah which then help her defeat the predator itself at the end of the film
1: Yeah. And that's kind of like a familiar story structure, I think, right? Like a a young woman who is kind of like bucking the traditions of her community or her population and and proving that she can be uh, a warrior or an athlete or whatever the case is. You know, like I feel like this is a pretty common story structure. But but again, like even if there is some cliche at the heart of the story, I think like the cultural specifics make up for that and do make it seem like newly absorbing all over again, you know?
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What do I don't know, honestly, what do native critics think of this film? How is it received in the native community at large? That was my number one question, too, because,
2: um,
1: yeah, they should have, you know, like they should have the word, at least in terms of historical accuracy. And, of course, in many other things as well as well in representation and whatnot. So. um, So, yeah, I did want to quote a few particular indigenous critics. Johnny J. First of all, she writes for A Tribe Called Geek. She is a member of the Oto, Missouri, and Choctaw tribes of Oklahoma. She wrote, Prey is a groundbreaking achievement for the entire Comanche nation. It is a rare tribute to the ingenuity, strength, and sheer stubbornness that has allowed Native people to survive the forces that threaten our survival. Very positive review from her. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was another review by the uh, founder and editor of Native Viewpoint, uh, his name is Vincent Schilling. He's a member of the Akwasasne Mohawk tribe. He wrote that the film represents indigenous people masterfully. Due to the diligence of Trachtenberg, the director, and Myers, the producer, as well as others, the film doesn't come across as though the native warriors are just cannon fodder. There are, are of course, many different viewpoints and perspectives expressed by indigenous critics, both in, you know, online publications as well as on social media. But I just wanted to point out those two because they do seem representative of, like, the overall response from indigenous and First Nations communities that I've been able to find.
0: Well said. I'll let their criticism speak for themselves.
1: Um, uh, Like, the the little bit of criticism, like, negative uh, commentary that I've been able to find is that it's funny like it's what you said about the French fur traders like maybe they're a little bit too like oafish and dumb and like cartoonish or whatever but (laughs) there's been a lot of positive commentary about that as well so um, I'll also just say that my partner Kelly is indigenous we watched the movie together she I could tell was very moved by it even like during the ceremonies some of the war cries in the film she mentioned that uh, that all seems very accurate the use of cradle boards for you know infants and you know, the makeup, the the costumes. Um, she said that all of it was not only accurate, but very poignant to see a movie that really tries so hard to get it right.
0: So uh yeah, it's great. That's great. And I I think that's what this movie leaves you with, the impression that wow, they really cared. There was a lot of attention paid to getting it right. And I just I just love that it's uh it's a monster movie too. Yeah. Well <laughs> like <laughs> I love monster movies, man. What else could I say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, of course I do, too. As we, you know, as we'll talk about next week or next episode with John Carpenter's Vampires, sometimes you have a monster movie with like a lot of gross, negative, like cultural perspectives, you know? So it is totally refreshing to see, yeah, a good monster movie that is trying to reverse that and take a step forward. Yep um yeah so the good there is a lot that is good about this movie as we've mentioned already it is undeniably very powerful to see this setting this environment these characters this culture in this context especially given the machismo and the xenophobia of some of the earlier predator movies uh prey could not be further away from that i think it uses simplicity in an extremely effective way we've talked about that a little bit you know this standoff of like One protagonist against one antagonist. And of course, there's a little complexity to that, but it's just such a powerful story structure. And in this particular case, there is so much behind that to complicate that story structure that it works extremely well, I think.
0: Yes, I agree. There's strength and simplicity with this film. It's very straight, linear, strong characters, not just mid-thunder, but the supporting cast are very strong and fleshed out. The Predator itself, I had a little qualms with the design, but that was just my personal aesthetic. I like the classic Predator a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I I love the, the historical and cultural depiction of Native peoples. Absolutely, yeah. Should I get into the bad a little bit?
1: Yeah. I You know, I, I think sometimes like the cliche at the core of the story is still very apparent. Like this is a story of a determined young woman who wants to um get dignity and respect from her people her you know in this case her tribe or her clan um although in other iterations in other movies it might be like her family or like um her workplace or whatever you know mm-hmm. her her team her school whatever it is so I, that story structure again is very familiar and at times I was like oh I, I see where this is going but again it, it feels new it feels fresh so that's that is a minor criticism but maybe the story could have been a little bit more unexpected in some places
0: for me, it really just came down to that CGI, which, you know, obviously didn't kill the movie for me, but it was it was uh... <laughs> it could have been so much more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's all I got. I I share your criticism there. Yeah. For the campy, it just Coco the dog just <laughs> running around acting the fool. I just love that little dog. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you can't go wrong with a dog in an action movie.
1: That's what I say. You probably yeah. can. There are probably so many instances of that, but I'm going to refuse <laughs> to believe that right now. Uh, I mean, there's really not that much camp in this movie. I think for the most part, it treats
0: its story and its setting very seriously, which in this case is a good thing. There's a nice callback. I'm so glad this movie did not use the line. You're one ugly motherfucker. However, yeah. it did use the line. If it bleeds, we can kill it. But it was done in such uh, an earnest way. It's cheesy, but but man, it worked. I loved it, too. I didn't even realize at first that it was a
1: callback to one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's lines from the original until I read about it afterwards. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, of course, that's like a famous line. Yeah. And I think that that's a sign of how like organically it's used in the movie. Like it does not seem like a fan concession, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, the only other thing I have for camp, there's a part where Naru is using a, like a beaver dam to sort of like fool the predator a little bit. Mm. And there's a line where she says, I'm smarter than a beaver, which just seems like kind of not the tone of the rest of the movie. So that seemed a little bit out of place to me, but a little dash of a sense of humor is not a bad thing. So I was okay with it. A little
0: clunky, maybe not the most polished line they (laughs) could have written, but whatever. It was funny. Yeah. And very nitpicky. Like it's one small line in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That whole bear sequence. I love. There was a lot of uh, thrills in that scene.
1: For sure. And of course, what happens is the predator kills the bear. So it's kind of when like the
0: allegiances like start shifting a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, go ahead and run us through our options and then we'll get through that. And then we'll tell the fine folks at home what we can watch, what they what we can listen to in a few weeks. All right, sounds good. So
1: we have uh, it's a timeless classic and definitely stands the test of time. Number two is there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it is great and does stand the test of time. Our third rating, it may be historically significant or fun, but it does not stand the test of time. And last and least, it is not worth revisiting. It definitely does not stand the test of time. For me, I think time will tell, but I think it will stand the test of time. There are some things that don't quite work for me. Some little criticisms that I
0: have here or there, but overall, it's great. And there's lots of love about this movie. I agree. I think there are some antiquated moments just right off the bat again with that CGI. But overall, it's great. I think it will stand the test of time. And I and I have a hunch that if we revisit this even a few years from now, we're going to say it's a timeless classic. I, I have a hunch it's going to be that much more highly regarded. Agreed. And
1: I think and I hope that this will start sort of a trend among, you know, like uh, sequels and like franchise installments to take things in a different direction, you know?
0: Exactly. Just take the prey model (laughs) (laughs) and go with it. So great conversation. Thank you all for listening and watching Camp Kaiju Movie Reviews. Couldn't do it without you as we head into Halloween season, our favorite time of year where monsters are mainstream. And to kind of ease us into that, we are going to talk about a vampire movie. Next, it is John Carpenter's Vampires. It'll be a good, a good conversation, maybe better than the movie itself. We'll find out. Yeah, uh, it's on Netflix right now. I'd encourage everyone to go watch it, see for yourselves, uh, then participate in the conversation with me and Matt. And if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, that's what we're here for. So let's talk monster movies and thank you all for hanging out. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, leave a rating and review and visit Camp Kaiju Movie Reviews dot com, Instagram or even Patreon for more monster movie content. Links in our bio. We can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded with your help in the Twin Cities with music by Terrence Jackson. Oh, and before I forget, Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster inspired t shirts with part of those proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com. Find the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. And again, as Camp Kaiju says, Thank you, friends, and until next time, stay campy.
2: She, her name is Coco. She's definitely the star. Um, It's funny, because she is, she, much like Dakota Beavers, is a talent that is discovered in this film. Um, Both of them, their first movie, both of them fantastic. Dakota, much more prepared to be at work. Coco, much less prepared to be at work. Um, She was, like, so much energy. And you know, it was like she would come in and you'd be like, all right, here we go. We're gonna do the thing and action. And she'd just like run. And you're like, okay, cut. And that was much of what it was like to have Coco around. She was just like a lot of energy. Did not always do what you wanted, but we she got adopted literally just for our movie, because mm-hmm. um, she was the most accurate breed, and so they had she only had, like, two months of training to do this. So it's not like a normal movie dog, where you're like, oh, okay, she's been trained for years and years, and this is what she does. It was kind of backwards, um, but I mean, obviously, like, you would never be able to tell watching it, like, she's a great actor.